0: So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week, to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Today's host is Rena Martin. She was a Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney for 14 years where she specialized in sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic violence cases. Today, she continues to serve women as an intimacy coach, educator, TEDx speaker, and author with a mission and a fire in her belly to help women love their bodies, experience deep intimacy, and of course, have great sex, all shame free. Enjoy, Rena Martine.
1: I am Rena Martine, and I am your host today, Women's Intimacy Coach. I am joined by Dan Crowdis. Dan is an ADHD coach with a background in engineering and producing music. After his own ADHD diagnosis at the age of seven, Dan has spent years building a system from some of the best minds in the field that has allowed him to embrace his neurodiversity as a superpower. He now helps ambitious adults with ADHD do the same and transform their big goals into big results. Something that is not in Dan's bio is that um, he's also my partner in, in love and in life We have been together a little over four years now. Um, I do not have ADHD. This is my first experience being in a relationship with somebody who has ADHD. So today we're going to talk all about how to live and love if you are somebody who has ADHD or are in a relationship with someone who has it and you're coming
2: into this a little bit blind.
1: Hi, Dan. How are you?
2: Hello, you didn't say partner in crime. I thought that's what people say in these situations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> partner in crime. Partner in all the all the good, the bad, and the ugly, but mostly good. Mostly good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, is it just me or does it seem like a lot of people, a lot of adults are are being newly diagnosed as having ADHD?
2: Yeah, it's, there's so many, it's like an avalanche. <laughs> and um, the current uh, estimates I've heard is somewhere around 5% that, um, you know, like the national medical societies are starting to come around with, and then you think, okay, that's one in 20 people was, were that many people really diagnosed as children? And maybe that number is going to go up, but instead of thinking of it as a disorder, I like to think of it as a brain type. You know, there's a lot of disadvantages, but there's a lot of advantages too. So yeah, it's, crazy just how many people are recently getting diagnosed as adults.
1: I mean, I'm seeing this within my own practice too. I'm seeing more and more um clients who I'm working with who are saying to me, "Oh my gosh, and I just found out I have ADHD." Um and so I do want to talk about what what ADHD is in in just a moment, but what I'm seeing is that people are getting this diagnosis and perhaps being prescribed some medication. But after that, they're not really given a lot of tools to to start changing their life to accommodate the fact that their brain works a little bit differently than a neurotypical brain. Um, What what are you seeing in in the space as people are getting newly diagnosed?
2: Well, if you think about it, this brain type has been around forever and. I read a book once that like compared that saying like, this is the hunter brain as opposed to the farmer brain. So if you're newly diagnosed and you're wondering like, do I have to do everything differently? Not really, because you've lived with this your entire life and you've already created some kind of coping mechanisms. Like, you know, you're different, not necessarily that it's going to hold you back in all these different ways. However, in the modern world, especially being a knowledge worker, office worker, whatever, that doesn't really fit in naturally with the ADHD brain where you always want to be pursuing new things. You want to kind of go with the moment. And yeah, it's hard to live in modern society like that. Uh, so yeah, ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. You can either be the inattentive type where it's just hard to pay attention, combined type where you have hyperactivity and inattentivity or the more rare pure hyperactivity type. So mm-hmm. yeah, like how exactly do you f- live your new life if you're recently diagnosed is figure out what you've been doing that has been working and then try to identify some things that have been challenges for you and think like oh, okay what can i use by researching adhd that's going to help me figure out these things in my life that haven't been going as well like and also if you have some story that you've already been telling yourself or other people like you know i'm just always late to things and that can be pervasive mm-hmm. but keep you from improving that so Maybe re-examine some of those things that you kind of took for granted that, oh, I just always do this. And they're like, okay, if this is ADHD, maybe there is some system, some solution out there that I can start doing differently and actually change that.
1: Mm. I'm glad that you brought up the the example of being late um, because I think this is a nice entryway into, okay, what does this look like in real life? Um, I, I know you've said that I'm the most punctual person you've ever known in your entire life. It's true. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> true story, true story. Um, and, and you have had to create systems to become more punctual, not because of me, but in order to, to be in relationships. You've created systems that predate me, um, on, on how to accommodate the fact that, that Naturally speaking, time works a little bit differently in in your ADHD brain. So, what does that look like? How how do you show up as a partner with ADHD if you are in a relationship with somebody who, like me, is kind of a stickler for time?
2: Right. So, I'll start with a, a much lower level answer because I find this really fascinating. If you think about how does the brain perceive time, it's a very kind of abstract thing. And with ADHD brain, it literally will perceive time differently. And the perception of time is closely linked to memory and working memory. And of the parts of memory with ADHD, it's really the working memory, that short-term, what you're kind of holding in your temporary store before it goes to long-term that's affected. Long-term memory isn't really affected much at all. So, yeah, that's why you have like the idea that half an hour from now and five hours from now kind of feel the same because the circuitry that measures that is a little bit faulty. So, okay, you accept that I have faulty circuitry when it comes to measuring time, so you use uh, external systems for that. So I have a digital timer I use quite frequently. Um, it's funny, I don't use it quite as much a- anymore than an, as when I got it a few years ago, because some of it's becoming a little bit more natural, which is kind of funny how that happens. But, um, all right, so let's get to the practical. Yeah, I used to be way more late than I am I was never like as bad as, you know, maybe some quote unquote ADHD people like to, you know, feel. But um, over the years, it's finding little things like the timer, you know, using calendars, using reminders. It's a bit cliche and a lot of people newly diagnosed with ADHD get frustrated because they just say, everyone just says, use lists, use apps, use timers. Like, well, yeah, you build up to that. Like what's one small thing you can start doing That'll make some small change, and then once you've mastered that, then maybe you know doing a more complex system, having your calendar a little bit more involved in your life uh, but yeah, like the more things that you do, they kind of add up, and then you'll gradually be a more and more punctual person
1: mm. so okay let's let's break this down then you're saying use timers. So, when you and I are gonna hang out, say we have plans in the evening because uh and I'll let our listeners know that that you and I do not live together. We live around the corner from one another, so I'm not gonna be the one who's knocking on the door um in the other room saying, "Come on, Dan, it's time to go because we live apart yes. so
2: also don't do that <laughs> so
1: yeah, <laughs> also, don't be that person but um so so, what does that look like for you? Are you literally setting a timer that's like, "I must meet Rena in fifteen minutes kind of thing?"
2: So I have a digital timer that doesn't have any functionality that says this happens then, but if I'm about to go, you know, like through a work block and what I need to do when I do a deep work block is block out all distractions, you know, sign off all email, put the phone on do not disturb or better yet the phone in another room or one thing I love to do is just yeet it, throw it across the room. So it hits my couch. But if you and
1: yeet, that's spelled y e e t
2: y e e t for you, uh, <laughs> non Gen Y or non millennials out there, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's just counting down. So, say, like, my next appointment meeting is in two hours, that's going to count down from two hours. And that's the one thing in front of me that's keeping track of that so I can stay absorbed in my work. Um, if mm-hmm. I'm on the couch reading a book, then I'm just going to make sure that. I like track that ahead of time and I'm able to keep an eye on a clock. And that's something that I was able to gradually develop after doing this for a while. So if you're starting off, you might want to be more explicit with it, you know, and maybe you do set timer, set a timer or alarm on your phone, just make sure it's out of reach. So there's lots of tools available. I would say just pick one at a time, figure out something that works for you. But um, yeah, be careful of A, being too complex or B, relying too much on your phone because Anytime you pick up your phone to try to do something, it presents so many other distractions that it might cause more problems than it solves.
1: Got it, got it. So what would you say has been the biggest sticking point in our relationship that can be attributed to the fact that um, I don't have ADHD
2: and you do? That's a tough question because I have usually dated, uh, people without ADHD. So, Mm -hmm. and a lot of, uh, times I do see people with ADHD kind of coming together with that. And it's a natural thing. So for me, I don't never really have, (laughs) um, an exact answer for that, but, uh, in general, just talking about relationships is knowing that you're going to need variety. You're going to need spontaneity, you know, like a certain amount of ritual is good but too much routine is bad so what are some things you can do to keep it fresh and this is something that i just naturally i already know that i need this so like when we started dating i was already bringing in like okay i know that i'm going to get bored naturally that's just the way my brain works and that's one of the reasons that people with adhd make great entrepreneurs for example because you know you get bored easily and then you're always looking for the next thing obviously that can be a, a very negative thing to bring into a relationship if you don't know how to work with it. You don't want to be like, okay, I'm bored of this person. Let's sign on what's next. Instead, you want to be like, my brain needs some kind of variety, some kind of, um, like some some new things that we can bring in. And all you have to do is use your creativity to bring that in yourself instead of expecting the world to bring that in for you.
0: Mm.
1: Well, and and in that way, I think that, that your desire for novelty.
2: That was the word. um,
1: Your inherent, what?
2: Novelty was the word I was searching for, thank you.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) Your desire for novelty, um, your creative mind, that 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 is a relationship superpower because I see so many relationships um, in in the world and from my own prior experience and also what I'm seeing a lot with my clients is that there isn't this emphasis on creativity, on novelty, and you're hardwired for that. You need that. And if our brains needed that a little bit more, our relationships on a general level would flourish because of that, because um, relationships can fall stagnant. There's this assumption that you meet somebody, you fall in love, you get together, and then it's you don't have to go back in and, and maintain. And typically when women come to me, it's because that check engine light is flashing very loudly saying, hey, there's something going on here. And and if they had had that, that intention to keep things fresh and new and novel from the very beginning, that that check engine light um, wouldn't be going off because that routine maintenance would have been happening all along.
2: Yeah, it is difficult because we're not really taught to bring creativity, to bring novelty into our relationships. And it's something that everybody needs because really everything about ADHD is something that neurotypical people deal with as well. Every single thing, it's just you take that knob or that slider and you take it from a one or a two and you turn it up to a seven or an eight. So Mm -hmm. everybody needs novelty. People with ADHD need it a lot more. Like the minute that you don't have that, then... Things are going to start to get, you know, you're going to be in trouble, but you have the ability to create it even more. So a lot of times the problems that you have with ADHD, you also have the solutions for because of your ADHD brain. And that's because you've developed this creativity over the years without realizing it because you get bored easily. Your brain knows that it needs to create novelty. So you're bringing that into the relationship, whether you know it or not. And I feel like it's the same thing with even. The time blindness, you've probably developed some kind of coping mechanism over the years, but you maybe haven't realized how to harness it yet. You know, we have the hyper focus mm-hmm. where if there was something that you really wanted to get done and then you brought all your brain to bear and then you really try to get this thing done and you created something in that process, there was probably some, some kind of organizational trick or some kind of things you use to get that done that in times when you're not, you know, firing at 100%, you can go back and realize, what did I learn about myself? Like, what trick did I develop that I can use, you know, outside of those cases?
1: Mm-hmm. And and so, as, as somebody who has ADHD and who requires novelty and who is a creative, and, and you and I have talked about this before, that creativity is our love language <laughs> in our relationship, um, how how have you brought that into our relationship? I mean, I can think of plenty of ways that you have creatively expressed love for me, but I don't know how many of those um, stem from this need for novelty versus how many of them are just you know romantic acts. so can you can you give our listeners some examples of, okay, this is how I've harnessed my my need for novelty and my inner creativity? as an ADHD person and brought them into my relationship.
2: Yeah, I think there's two different things there. There's using your creativity for romantic gestures, which is going to satisfy that need to have done something well, to be loved, to be accepted for your own work. And then there's also using your creativity to bring just novelty in how you spend your time together. So for example, for Valentine's day this year, I had a random idea that I was going to make these little tiny love notes. They're about, you know, one and a half inch square and hide them all over your apartment. And I think there's still some you haven't found almost a year later. (laughs) Um, But that wasn't something that I planned for a long time. It was just this idea that popped out of nowhere. And I think, you know, if you're the person with ADHD, you're going to have all these ideas popping into your brain all the time because, you know, the, the reason you get distracted is that your brain is literally resetting five times more often than a neurotypical brain. The downside is it's really hard to focus with that. The upside is whenever you have that blank, that's where ideas pop in out of nowhere because you don't have the thing you're focusing on that's gonna keep that idea away. So anytime you have these ideas that pop in about something to do, have a way to capture that, have a way to write that down so you can remember it later so you don't forget it because that working memory, remember, isn't um, 100%. So that's really how you harness uh, that particular superpower as far as creativity with stuff to do together, that's the, the same kind of thing. Like, you know, realizing that, you know what, I'm a little bit bored with how we're spending, you know, this particular week, maybe there's something we can do that's out. And then, you know, maybe that could just be a discussion be like, Hey, do you know of anything, like any music things coming up? I've been in the mood for that. Or you just start searching for that on your own, or, you know, maybe you could take like a night at home and then Instead of doing X, we're going to do Y. It doesn't have to be this big, uh, super creative thing. It could just be change because it's really coming down to change. You could go from, hey, instead of just doing Netflix and chill, we're going to watch an old black and white movie that we heard about that's supposed to be really good. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'll I'll think of um, something that comes to mind for me that we've done a few times that, that you kind of started was Going out for dinner somewhere in Silver Lake. We live in Echo Park, so here in Los Angeles, Silver Lake is is the next neighborhood over. And going out to dinner, and then walking to a bar for a little nightcap, sees, and and you, <laughs> that's that's nightcap for those of you who aren't in this relationship. Um, and and you bringing out index cards and instructing me to fill them out a certain way and and you would do the same and and we've done that a few times now so um and i don't i don't want to play what's in my pocket but can you remember what some of these prompts were that that you would give for us to to use on the cards
0: yeah
2: it was uh some stuff like things we're grateful for with each other there was, i think like sexual things you wanted to try There was, yeah, those are the only two I'm remembering off the top of my head. But even that, that wasn't like some grand plan that I've been scheming forever. Like, oh, I'm just thinking about romantic stuff all the time. It's more of just, it just popped into my brain one day and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to note that down for later. Yeah, and it's not this huge thing that takes a whole lot of effort and you don't have to be wired in or feeling guilty if you don't do some of these things. Like, oh my God. I should be thinking of romantic stuff all the time. Like, no, no, just like all the little silly ideas that pop in your head, just snag one of them off. And if it seems kind of dumb that are like over the top and you want to do it, like try it out. I be might be surprised that the little gestures like that can go a long way and it's fun. It's fun for both of you.
1: Well, and that, that I think is the point is that, you know, going out for dinner and a drink um, seems like a pretty standard date and how just this one little addition to it the single act of bringing two index cards and two pens out with you and saying hey let's go into the bar for our nightcap and sit separately and fill out these cards and I'll write down you know three things I'm looking forward to trying with you sexually in the next six months or three things I'm really grateful um grateful for in our relationship and and we'll each fill those out and then when we're when we're both ready will come together, enjoy our cocktail and and share our cards with one another and allow the other person to read it, to feel loved, and then to take the card home as a memento from the night, but also a reminder of where we wanna be going in our relationship or what we're currently really grateful for in our relationship. And, and that I think is the beauty of the way your brain works, Dan, is that that simple act of bringing out the two index cards and and two pens comes very naturally to you. Um and so I wanted to offer this as a suggestion to other people who are like okay yes I get it I know I need to do something new in my relationship but what? Do that. Yeah, it's super easy.
2: It's surprisingly how easy it is to take something that could be considered mundane and elevate it with just a little bit extra. For example, you know one of our first dates of going see the Christmas trees and grand park and then going for dinner afterwards. And I don't remember exactly where we went after there, but that was all a big walk too. So by making that a surprise, it's like, Oh, I'm taking you out. And instead of be like, Oh, we're going to do this and then we're going to do dinner. It's like, no, we're going to be dropped off here. And then we're going to go on an adventure and just thinking of it as an adventure is going to change your own mindset and that own It's, it's going to be so apparent that you're thinking of it that way. That's going to make the other person in the relationship more excited too. And hey, I feel like that energy just can kind of exude out. And I think just thinking of it that way makes a really, really big difference. You know.
1: Yeah, it's it's mindful. <laughs> um, you know, I was I was talking to someone recently who was like, Yeah, my my partner, he'll buy me he'll buy me expensive jewelry and he'll buy me this and he'll buy me that. But you know, in, in all the years we've been together, he's never actually written me a love letter. And but he has no idea that that's what she really wants, right? He's operating from a place that perhaps her love language is is gifts when in actuality it it can be words of affirmation. It sounds like it's words of affirmation. Um, and what I've seen in in our relationship is that with creativity set as the love language, it kind of spans all the different conventional love language categories, because you will surprise me with like little gifts. You will write things for me. You will surprise me in many, many different ways when it comes to touch or quality time together. But it's it's the thought that went into it that means so much more to me than, than the monetary component, if that makes sense.
2: I think there's a lot of men that, in particular, you know, I'm stereotyping here, but that overthink these kind of things and they don't do the grand gestures because they think they're way grander and they're way more difficult than they are. Like love notes, for example, just get out of pen and start writing, you know, and it's probably going to be dumb. It's not going to be poetry and that's okay. It, it really is the thought that counts. And I think they fall back on, you know, just like maybe buying something because they think that's equivalent of that because like, oh, I can't write a good letter, but so I'm going to do this instead that shows that's an equivalent thing. Because if I did try to write something, it would come out dumb and that would be the equivalent of me trying to buy jewelry and it was just worth $1. fifty or something. It's like, no, nah, it's not true at all. And really any, t- any small thing you can do, just, just try it out. You know, maybe you heard it from somebody else and you don't want to do it because like, oh, now that I'm copying them, nobody cares. It's the fact that you did it at all. Everything's been done before, Mm -hmm. just creativity in general. I mean, people get so worked up, like as a musician, like, oh, I don't want to copy this. I don't want to sound like that. You're going to sound like somebody before. And I think that's very true for any love language type thing is just copy, do dumb ideas, do small things. Even if it doesn't seem like it's enough, it'll be enough. Just the fact that you're showing the appreciation at all and you're using your brain. And yeah, you're trying something new.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about RSD, because I think that this plays into how somebody with ADHD needs to feel appreciated in a relationship. So can you spell out what RSD is and, and kind of explain this notion to our listeners?
2: Yeah. So RSD is rejection sensitivity dysphoria, and it refers to part of the ADHD brain's Uh, inability to process emotions from a logical perspective. So I will not go into like the specific neuroscience about it, but what what really happens is that if you're upset or feeling rejected in some certain way, you're not going to be able to just turn that emotion down with your logical brain right away. Like it's going to take a cool down time. And to a certain degree, there's no way around that, but that's difficult, especially, you know, you get to a point where you think you've, quote unquote, mastered ADHD, that's still there because that's literally a physical reaction. So, okay, you know that this is a thing, you know, it's established with both people in their relationship that if you're feeling rejected, you're going to have this intense emotional reaction that's going to last a certain amount of time. So what do you do about that? Part of it is fighting mindfully, so to speak, where if you have a disagreement, do your best to air that out Maybe early in the day when you're both feeling calm, um, before you let things blow up, you know, kind of be proactive about a small thing before it grows into a big thing. At the same time, don't sweat the small stuff, and that's I think that goes with having disagreements in relationships in general, wouldn't you say? Of a, don't sweat the small stuff, and b, don't ignore the big stuff.
1: Yeah, I am. Yes, yes, and. I mean, I think you and I, we we have different preferences when it comes to how we resolve conflict. Um, what I'm hearing is that the ADHD brain is prone to being overly sensitive to rejection, more yes. so than the neurotypical brain. So um, any sort of criticism that I send your way, because you have ADHD, it's going to be amplified a ton compared to somebody who doesn't have that.
2: Yes, but we have the ability sometimes mm -hmm. um, to overcome that. And it really depends on the timing, because how much is your logical brain in control? Like, how good are you feeling at the moment? And when you have something that could be interpreted as a criticism how can you phrase that so it doesn't seem like a criticism? It's just that like, oh, this is the two of us and we wanna get better about this. And if you are just like really, really upset about something and it comes out and it's a blow up because with best intentions, they might still happen, recognize that the person with ADHD isn't going to be able to just process it, snap back right away. You know, It might take until the next day to fully process that.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because you very much um, are a proponent of kind of simmer on it before you say something, wait to determine whether this is a big deal or not. Is this a big enough deal to bring up? Whereas for me as somebody who, um, historically speaking, I would hold a lot of stuff in for a long time and then explode. That was my track record for a very long time and something that I have worked on tremendously and made, I think, big improvements on in in this relationship. But it's been, I would say, a a real balancing act for us because I'm, I'm improving at saying things in the moment, whereas you tend to ruminate on things and wait a few days to bring them up. And so we, we butt heads when it comes to that sometimes. So what, what's the solution there? Say someone's listening. They're like, yep, that's me. And that's my partner. Not to say that you and I have mastered this, but, but what, what is the way to honor that our brains function differently and that I may need some sort of resolution and closure sooner than you do?
2: Yeah, I don't think this is the kind of thing that can really be generalized, but look at each individual relationship. And if you've been together for a while, you probably can say like, okay, in what way have we made each other feel the worst when we're having conflict? And then mm. pinpoint that thing and like, okay, what can we do differently about that? And one thing that um, has happened in our relationship is the end of the night fight. Cause there's for me, like my brain is really shutting down. My ability to process things is way lower. And then, you know, if we're, if we're blowing up about something like towards the end, like, I just don't have the the logical uh, capability to process that and then overcome my emotional brain the way I would earlier. So, you know, and that's one small thing that way. That might not apply to everybody because a lot of people with ADHD are very much night people. And I realize that I'm against the curve when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's just what is the one thing that is causing the biggest problem and then just attack that. And then once you feel like you've improved on that, all right, what's next? And then just kind of go from the bottom of the barrel, the worst things, and then start hitting them one by one. So if you have any specific mm-hmm. example, I can do that. I know that wasn't a uh, very concrete.
1: <laughs> well, I'll say that I think our use of check-ins has been really helpful. Yeah. Um,
0: that comes so with being proactive. W- mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And and check-ins are are a, a mindful time that you come together, and you can pick how frequently you want to do these. You and I typically do them at the beginning of the month, so we're we're due for our December check-in very soon here. Um, but we sit down, and it's a very safe space to bring up any kind of grievances that have come up over the last month. Something that is so small that in and of itself, you might feel like, ah, this wasn't a big deal. Is it worth bringing up? The check-in is the time and place to do that. So I feel like, you know, now four plus years into our relationship, that's how we've managed to strike a balance between not shoving things under the rug, but also letting things ruminate, Um, and, and not reacting, but, but having a dedicated time in a place where we bring things up Mm -hmm. and we're not perfect at it by any means, but, but I think check-ins are really helpful. It's something I recommend to, to couples, whether or not you are neurotypical or neurodivergent, um, and you can have subtopics within your check-ins. Like, all right, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about finances. Let's talk about shared household duties. Let's talk about um, how we're each feeling about the amount of quality time we've spent together, about where what we wanna do vacation-wise for the rest of the year. So you can use these to create structure and dialogue amongst the topics in your relationship that tend to cause the most conflict. And, and do them once a month, do them once a week, do them once every two weeks. I mean, it's entirely up to you what you want that cadence to look like, but, um, but having those check-ins, I think is really helpful for us. And I've seen it be helpful for other couples too.
2: One thing that's really important, whether you use check-ins or not, that I think we've been good with. And that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of these things have been able to be easier for us is just the idea of not keeping score. And that could be difficult for a lot of people that, you know, once you bring something up, the other person's like, well, what about this? And the disagreement or conflict has to be this back and forth where one person's trying to score points with the other, or maybe there's something you've been kind of simmering on that you weren't sure if you wanted to bring up. And then once they brought something up and then you're like, oh, well, what about this? And if you're able to leave that behind this whole, who's winning in the relationship, who's cause each other more grievances? What is the current total there? And just think that like, okay, if there's a conflict, it's me and you versus the problem. Easier said than done, but that's definitely what you wanna aim for. Otherwise, even a check-in, which is supposed to be the safest space, can quickly devolve into just blow by blow and back and forth.
1: Yeah. and. I want to touch on that a bit more. This idea of it isn't me versus you, it's me and you versus the problem. And I think the easiest hack in terms of talking about that is, okay, we have this issue X, whatever this, this thing is, what are we going to do about it? Not what are you going to do about it? But what are we going to do about this? Um, And another Cause I'm all about, you know, handing out tips to people. Another tip I really like that I've used, um, that, that you've used is saying, you know, the story I'm telling myself right now is, so I, I suffer from anxiety. So sometimes my brain will be telling me stories that I'm, the logical side of me is like, that cannot be true. And so I will signal to Dan and I'll say, honey, The story I'm telling myself or the story my brain is telling me right now is, and then I give you some, you know, kind of usually outlandish thing about like, uh, you're, you're not in love with me and you're just doing this, that, and that. And then it's, it's, it's a bid for me to, uh, ask you to help me tune into that logical side of my brain. And I know that you've brought it up in, in situations too, where you're like, my ADHD brain is telling me this. Tell me, am I being rational here or not? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and
2: as far as the ADHD brain saying things, this is where the RSD comes in, where if we don't handle something in a logical way in a check-in or early in sitting down when we're both at 100%, if it is the end of the night and emotions do get high and it becomes into a blow-up, that's so easy for me to interpret that, is that like I have done a bad job as a partner. Like I am not a good person because like how could things get to this point and then like once you get down that hill it's everything starts shutting down and you lose the ability to do this kind of like positive logical processing that we're talking about so it really is preventative you know like because once you get to that point and then you hit the shutdown you just have to wait for it to be over and that's not a place that you want to be and see so a lot of dealing with rsd is preventing rsd because once you're there you're kind of stuck at least for a while
1: Mm. So would it be fair to say that it's typical for folks with ADHD to enjoy a lot of praise, to basically have a praise kink?
2: Oh, yeah. That's the thing about (laughs) rejection sensitivity is that the converse is also true, which I think is one of the reasons that a lot of people with ADHD do go into the creative fields. Like me as a musician, I get to be on a stage and performing and people will applaud for me. That hits exactly the parts of my brain that want to be activated for that.
1: Yeah, um, so so I am mindful of that, of expressing a lot of gratitude for you and and really um, telling you how proud I am of you often. And not that I'm just paying lip service, but I know that that expressing that to you Um, lands differently it's it's really important and nourishing for you as somebody who is neurodivergent
2: yeah and it's also really easy um and this is necessarily an adhd thing but um to be really hard on ourselves and i think everybody in the world could use more of this more gratitude i don't want to say the word praise because it could almost feel condescending in certain ways but yeah just giving more positivity out there because usually the person that's the hardest on us is ourselves. You know, whether that came from something in our past, whether that's just a desire for excellence gone wrong. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to do anything big at all too, like you're like, Oh, I'm never good enough. So to be able to get that from your partner is so, so important. So please everyone out there, Mm -hmm. go tell your partner something positive about them today. If you do, if you take nothing else from this conversation, (laughs) just do that.
1: Yeah, I am grateful for you because dot, dot, dot. There's your hack right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does, how does ADHD show up in the bedroom? Let's talk about ADHD and sex.
2: Yeah, I would say the same kind of thing before of use this mo- moment for creativity. Your brain is going to get bored more easily than the neurotypical brain all the same things we talked about with relationships in general apply in the bedroom here. So yeah, getting bored during sex sucks. So instead of saying this is going to happen to me and I'm just going to be sitting there like uh, use that and use your creativity to keep making things interesting. And um, I will go into specifics. I'll leave that to you if you want. You're the relationship coach, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, like find ways, like what can I do to change things up? Whether you suggest it ahead of time, whether you're spontaneous with it, Personally, I just love bringing surprises in because that's interesting for everyone involved, but sometimes anticipation can be good too. But uh, yeah, like you always say, sex is play. So why not um, just bring some more ideas in, try to change things up, make it fun.
1: Yeah, and whether whether that be um, some some role play, which doesn't need to be some elaborate thing with costumes and scripts. It can be if that's your thing. But some some gentle role play, um, bring in a new toy, um adding some sort of dynamic beforehand. I'll share a story which uh I've I've already shared in an article that I wrote. So I think it's fair game for me to share here that during the pandemic I uh went over to Dan's house and he was expecting me. We were gonna have a date night at his house during lockdown, and I got there and he <laughs> he was like ma'am are you here for your massage appointment and i was like huh what and i've got you know full face of makeup on i'm wearing red lipstick and then i was escorted into the massage room and he had like (sighs) like nice massage music playing why are you sighing (laughs) continue continue but 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 like that kind of element of and I and you did give me a very nice massage. Yes. You did me give me a very nice nice massage. But that element of rather than being like, hey, do you want a massage? Right? Like just the extra step. And of course, we were we were doing some giggling and stuff, and and we were keeping this light and this was fun and this was play. But that extra step of um of creativity there like this is now a story that i will f- forever remember <laughs> in a way that i won't remember a night where you're just like hey do you want a massage right there there was this um ritual around it that that elevated it from just you know a a what could have been a very normal Um, physical interaction to to something special. (laughs) So here's
2: one way that the two of us are very different is that I'm pretty private and don't like to talk about a lot of these things. That's okay. I'm not trying to say, but um, yeah, obviously I do things like this all the time. I'm always thinking about like, all right, what's one new thing that we can do because I know I need variety. I crave it. And instead of waiting for the universe to give it to me, I make it myself. But the cool thing about variety, it doesn't mean that you always need to be doing the next biggest thing or, Need to be always getting more elaborate or like going down these crazy kinks that once you've established a variety of things that you've done, just changing it from things, something you've done before. I mean, having like the simplest quickie and nothing's different and you're just, you know, like done in just minutes and then you do something elaborate the next night, that's variety in itself. And then you have, Mm -hmm. you know, traditional loving sex and then you maybe just have like normal sex, but maybe it's a little bit harder, so to speak that's variety too. So it doesn't need to be this big, crazy thing. Just once you've introduced, say, you know, you have like a palette of different things that you've tried, then it's easy to think about like, okay, I already have like 50 different ways that I can just transmute the different elements in. And then you enter in like one new element. Oh, now I have a hundred. And then another, now you have 200. And if you don't think about it outside of the bedroom, it's easy for it to all kind of like fall into this rut of like always doing the same thing, the same things in the same order. So all you have to do is just like change things around a little bit and yeah, that's a lot of variety right there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I like to say to people that even the most kinky sex can become boring if that's the only thing you're doing all the time. Exactly. Right. So what's the one thing if, that you would want people to know, if they are neurotypical, so someone like me, um who's in a relationship with somebody who has ADHD. What's the biggest tip you can give folks on how to love people who have ADHD?
2: I think always two things really and I'm just going to say because we already talked about it so much, just anything that activates the creative part of the brain is going to be good, you know, whether like encouraging them to do things that are creative like the little love notes maybe you do some of it yourself to pick that off maybe you do more stuff like playing games instead of always watching tv or movies you know something to like that's going to activate that part of the brain that like really gets them lit up but other than that i would say it's a give and take so say you're frustrated because you know they maybe they're always late for things instead of putting it all on them or all on you for example if If you think that you have to be bugging them and like setting timers for them, you know, that's point A. Or for them to be like, you need to fix this or I'm out the door, that's B. Try to find a happy medium where you're not doing it all for them, but you're also just not putting it all on them. It's like, how can we work together as a team to fix this? And sometimes it might be acceptance too, on that same note where maybe they wait until right before they leave to pack for a trip. If they manage to do it and still make the plane on time, and that stresses you out for because you were packed three days ago, just let them do it. Because if it works, it works. You know, if you're late for the plane, that's another story. But in general, if they have some kind of like quirks that they do that just drive you crazy, but in the end it all works out, try to find a way to live with it. Yeah.
1: And I will say that is true story. (laughs) I'm the person who packs very far in advance. Dan is the person who packs the morning of, and he never misses the flight. You know why though? And you know,
2: if I tried to pack three days before, I wouldn't do it. I would procrastinate. I would get so stressed out. I would start beating myself up. Like, why are you not packing? Like you have it on your list. It's not doing, and I'm like, look, I'm going to wait till the last second anyway. Why don't I just shortcut all that stress and self-blame and anxiety and, you know, just do it then anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me today, Dan.
0: Thank you. I am um, grateful for you.
1: I am so grateful for <laughs> you. And if if somebody is curious about what you do as an ADHD coach, um, if they have big goals that they're looking to transform into big results, where can people find you?
2: Yeah, find me at ADHDcoachdan.com. Right now, that's going to my Instagram account, but getting the website up. But yeah, uh, I love working with people that are already successful professionals that have some good creative project that's gathering dust, or maybe they want to change careers. Maybe they want to launch a business, but you've already got a pretty good level of executive function, but you know you're capable of more. Like there's that one dream that's kind of just burning a hole in your pocket. And that's the kind of people I really love helping.
1: Wonderful. And if you're looking for more support when it comes to loving your body, uh, having deep intimacy and great sex shame-free, you can find me at renamartine.com or on Instagram at underscore rena.martine underscore. Thank you so much, Dan.
0: Thank you. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, Please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story. And you can just record it directly from your phone. And email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend
3: hi john i'm a very long time listener and uh first time interacting really but um i'll talk about my singlehood journey um I've been single on purpose now for a couple of years trying to just make sure that I'm the best version of myself before I really enter into another relationship. I think reading your book just picking it up randomly um I don't remember why, but I really like the title of being purposeful. I um purposely on purposely single. I uh, I had a child quite young, um, high school girlfriend situation after high school. Anyway, I ended up, um, becoming a, a single dad when she was a toddler and uh, mom just didn't want to be around. And I had a series of like longer term relationships, but never really experienced the dating culture and the dating pool when I was younger. I had long-term girlfriends. Um, And had a child pretty young, and then became single father. And then um, that she left, and I was single dad with a little toddler. And I look back now and realize that um, I didn't have the same value in myself that I do now. I was in my twenties and um, with a little girl, and thinking who would want to date a guy, you know, working in construction and twenty-something years old hauling around little baby and traveling and stuff too my work involved travel too so I was gone a lot of the weeks but I realized I never really had a um an example of what a good relationship looked like um I look back now and see that my mom and dad never never had a successful relationship maybe before we were born they were married for a long time um and I hear stories they tell they would tell me stories about you know they they packed up and traveled moved to the west coast and that was great and I'm thankful that they moved out here but uh, my memory of them from the time that I could even remember is screaming and yelling and divorce and just not nice to each other not showing love to each other and it probably made me pretty um, hard to get attached to anybody uh-huh. so I know now that looking back that that's an issue that I had. And and, um, anyway, um, yeah, I didn't have a really good example. And I did meet somebody. I got married. um, We we were together for a while. um, You know, it was we were together almost ten years. And I needed to change to not travel. I needed to stop being gone watching my daughter grow up I wanted to be in come home and sleep in the sleep in my own bed and catch my daughter's last half of her childhood living home you know be there for her and I made a career change when she was about 10 and I know that that being home more constantly than than out being traveling um, caused the marriage that I was in to actually have to work versus being home only on the weekends um And, um, it, uh, being home put me, like, I learned a lot more about, um, what was going on while I wasn't there. Um, but it was just bad. It was not, it was not good. And it took a long time to unwind. And, um, so I, we unwound that marriage and it was really, uh, painful and, my daughter, unfortunately, um, had a front row seat to the same shit show that I did when I was a kid. Uh, and I never meant to put her through that. And I want to have her have a better childhood. And that means dad being okay. Um, so after the marriage, I did find somebody that, uh, was fucking wonderful. And, um, she did teach me a lot about what love is. Uh, it took a little while. It was completely random. We weren't looking for each other. Um, we happened to both be divorcing our spouses. We were both smack in the middle of a divorce. And so there's a lot of things to figure out there. But the big takeaway I learned in your book was um, to honor that relationship and um, to honor the things that were great about it, about like just teaching me so much more about what love is and what it's like to have an equal love where one person isn't set on a pedestal and the other person is below them. And that's what I was used to in in a marriage. So um, we had a big, we, we, we weren't, we both ended up divorcing within two weeks of each other um, and realizing that it was more of her, her decision than mine to work on herself and, I know and turn me around to work on myself and, and, um, you know, make sure that I'm there for my daughter for her last few years living together in the house. So I made a point the last three, four years ago to, um, make sure that I could figure out how to be the best dad that I could be and not involve, not put another woman in front of my daughter. So that. I put, I remember going after, post-divorce, and after breakup, and even before that, um, I had a lot of anger that I didn't know how to deal with. I was, uh, what, ha- what my trigger to get help was, I guess, was that sometimes I'd be at work and just, I just, there was a couple instances where I just broke down and I just started bawling and I didn't know what the hell uh, was going on. I mean, I was sad, I was angry. My marriage was falling apart. I found somebody that I loved. She left. Um, I'm, I'm here raising this teenage girl that's also very angry and pissed. She's lost two moms now. And I'm the only one here that's in front of her. So she's taking her anger out on me. And I... Um, it, it just created a situation where I have to be single I have to um, not involve not put in, not try to put anybody else in front of her, not try to get into any kind of relationship. Well, I know that I felt like I was pretty fucked up I felt like I was pretty um my own self worth wasn't there, but I can say that things some of the greatest things in the book were learning you know the the uh the four pillars of your life and working on those and making sure that you're satisfied and all. All four aspects there. It's probably going to be one of my first real um, significant tattoos that I'll put on my body and cover up some stupid teenage ones. Um, but it's been a great. It's been really, really great process being single. Um, I've now been able to say no to more and more, where and I can see um, a lot more issues that aren't going to a lot more incompatibility and a lot more, um, times when, you know, I, I know that superficial feeling of just a sexual attraction and that would be great, but also, you know, the, the shit show that comes afterwards when you have to actually work through some things. Um, and this is the first time in my life that I've purposely been single since being a teenager, I've been in i've realized it was in survival mode all of almost all of my life and until now and now i could be more purposeful and take my time and really get my head right and get myself right and not um not be out there looking looking for somebody because i feel like i'm that that stigma that society puts on you for being single is uh I, you know i go on friends groups and you have all the couples around and you're the single guy. Um, so it's it's been quite fun. Um, now I've learned to enjoy it and embrace it. Um, I started traveling randomly one weekend per month when Corona um, started coming out of Corona and we could book plane tickets and I would take my daughter on a lot of trips and then I went on a lot of trips by myself and started to go on myself and I just went to Europe for uh, a month on my own and I happened to Ruined my phone halfway through, and it was the best thing ever. Um, I went to no communication, no technology, and traveling through multiple countries and carrying a map and asking strangers for directions, Um, and it's just been really, really good, and I finally feel like my daughter has moved to college, and I may be ready to start dating again. I don't know, but I don't want to be out there looking for it, because I find that the greatest the greatest love that, that you're gonna run into is gonna be on, on completely on accident it's gonna be a collision it is gonna be something that maybe builds you know that you sense that spark right away but maybe it's not the same bonfire that it was attracted to earlier <laughs> And maybe it's just a small spark but anyway I just wanted to send do this little voice note and um, and tell you I'm really really thankful for for the book the it's sitting in front of me now it's still a regular that I go back to and um I just randomly pick it up sometimes and and read a couple of pages in the morning and realize that you know the there's a lot of really good good stuff in there and, I, and I've given it away um I've given it away to a lot of friends that have gone through breakups or different points in their lives and you know I'll actually probably give it if I start dating anybody I'll actually probably give it to them and uh see how they take that. Anyway, thank you. And I just wanted to let you know that um, your work is great and I really uh, appreciate it. Thank you.